Welcome to Wells Preachers Podcast. We're continuing our series for Epiphany called Uncovered, where we're looking at God's work in rule, operating in ways we can't understand, and therefore we need life's big truths to be uncovered for us. The theme for today, definitions uncovered, blessings are cursed, curses are blessed. That theme stresses that Jesus' kingdom works the exact opposite the way the world works, a fact that can be disorienting for new believers and perplex lifelong believers. Our participants today are Pastor Jonathan Borman of Peace in Aiken, South Carolina, Pastor Tim Borman of Sure Foundation in New York, and Professor Tom Cuck on behalf of the Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. I'm John Hine, coordinator of Wells Congregational Services. Uh, Tom, we're going to preach on the Jeremiah text, the first reading um, this week. It's probably good to give some guys some initial thoughts just about the prophet Jeremiah or the book. You got, got some of those? Yeah, there's Jeremiah is, is, is a fascinating prophet, and it's a fascinating book for a whole variety of reasons. First of all, Jeremiah's ministry stretches out 40-plus years. Uh, he starts, give or take, 622 B.C., uh, during the reign of good King Josiah. So he had a short period of time or about a 10-year, 12-year period of time in which he got to see a God-fearing king and got to serve under a God-fearing king, which must have been somewhat wonderful for him. And then everything changed dramatically as Josiah is killed in battle and is succeeded by uh, Jehoahaz, who is very quickly deposed and succeeded by Jehoiakim, much of Jeremiah's ministry will be served under Jehoiakim, who is an evil king, um, including cutting up Jeremiah's scroll and burning it. So we know that the copy that's in front of us is at least the third copy of the book, because one copy of the book was burned, another copy of the book was tossed into the Euphrates River, and so this is at least the third copy of the book that was, uh, that was made. Jeremiah's um, end of his ministry he ends up having to uh, trudge down to Egypt along with the rebelling Judahites who seem to take Jeremiah kicking and screaming. And he ends his, his ministry down in Egypt as far as we know. We have no, uh, no recording of him ever coming back to the land of Israel afterwards. So Jeremiah sees some terrible stuff over the course of his ministry. And we really have no idea exactly when this text might have been uh, written during his ministry time, or if he had a specific time in mind as he wrote the text that's in front of us, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Um, but at the end of his life, when the last of the manuscripts would have finally been, been written, it must have really weighed on him how true these words were, and how he had seen kings who trusted in man and who depended on the strength of humans and how sadly um, it must have, or how sad it must have been for him to realize how few of his people, his countrymen, had relied on the word of the Lord. And because of that, had, uh, had received God's punishment instead of God's wonderful grace. So that, that understand, those understandings of Jeremiah himself and his book, I think, are kind of important for just understanding the whole context of this uh, section of the scriptures. Yeah, absolutely. John, let me move to you. In, in my opinion, this week has as great a potential as any in the sermon series to, to reorient the way our listeners view the world, just this whole concept of blessings being cursed and vice versa. What would you say is the biggest 
takeaway you'd hope your people would get this week? That. <laughs> what you just said, that. You know, the way that you see the world naturally gets completely subverted. You get reoriented to the world. And, and it's like you said, what we naturally consider blessed is cursed. And um, what we naturally consider cursed is blessed. And helping people think that out, right? I, I think this is the challenge is describing for people the new life of faith. This is, this is how we are to see the world in line with Yahweh's word, in, in line with the word of the Lord. So, and, and a line, you know, just this is a preacher's podcast, so we can do a little bit of theology. A line that comes to mind is from the Heidelberg Theses. Um, a theologian of the cross calls a thing what it is, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to describe reality the way it is, um, not the way that um, a theologian of glory might call evil good or good evil. And we're just going to flip people's um, experience of the world on its head, and we're going to read reality with the Lord and with his word. And if we can get people doing that by the end of, of a sermon, um, and it's awesome. I, I love that. We're gonna we're gonna believe Yahweh's word. Tim, let me jump to you. Uh, so the gospel reading is pretty well known. It's the blessings and woes from the Sermon on the Plain. The second reading is also well known. Paul's thorn in the flesh discourse. You and John are preaching on the first reading. Those short four verses from Jeremiah chapter seventeen. Why did you guys choose that text to drive home the theme of the day? Well, it, you know, I've always been drawn two reasons. I'll give you two reasons why I picked Jeremiah 17 here. One is because I've always been drawn to Beatitudes and, and maledictions. And so that kind of narrowed it down to, is it going to be the gospel or is it going to be going to be Jeremiah? And um, Luke gives a great opportunity to preach on Beatitudes and Beatitudes really fit into this whole idea of reversals, like in the Bible, they're always a radical divine truth that's usually very counterintuitive. So you have Job already really early in the Bible. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. <laughs> that's counterintuitive. Or uh, blessed are the forgiven, if you want to do um, a little bit of King David. And, and then you have Jesus. And, and long before Jesus gives this really complete statement of Beatitudes and in maledictions, Jeremiah joins into the chorus. So I was drawn, drawn into it for that reason. But a second reason is because Jeremiah gives us this incredible language, and I bet the good professor is going to build on this in just a second, for us to really latch on to. We have, we've got a bush, we've got a tree, a lot, lot of organic stuff. And I really think that, that the, this kind of imagery can really sing in a sermon. So I was really drawn to it for those reasons. Yeah, he just kind of uh, tossed you the uh, softball, Tom. Guys have begun their text studies. So now we're you're looking in the text. Do you have any initial thoughts about the, uh, the text before us? Yeah, the, the text, surprisingly, for a text which is poetry, isn't terribly difficult Hebrew. And hopefully guys were able to work their way through it. There is a uh, patterns to it, which you can dig out if, if you want to. There's a 4-3-3, a 4-3, a 4-3, um, etc. But I'm, I'm not going to spend much time on that. A couple of little detail things that guys might find 
interesting. Um, first of all, the word cursed and the word blessed. Uh, yes, they are the same words that are used back in Deuteronomy 27 and 28 for the blessings and the curses that were spoken from Mount Ebal and Gerizim when the Israelites first arrived in the, in the promised land. And I think the value of seeing that is just to remember that, um, that God works consistently. The things he spoke in the blessings and curses back in Deuteronomy are totally consistent with what we see here in, uh, in Jeremiah. And then um, we, we see them carried through in the Beatitudes in a slightly different way, I would suggest, but that they are they're carried through there as, uh, as, as well. Um, verse six, you re re referenced that bush in the wasteland. Uh, it's interesting that there are lots of guesses as to what that bush might be. Most commentators will come out and say it's something like a juniper bush, which that kind of juniper bush is probably a little small thing with kind of scaly leaves that uh, amounts to next to nothing. It probably has very shallow roots, which is important because it means a juniper bush can't survive in the desert in the wasteland very long because it can't get down to the nourishment. It just can't. And so that plays nicely consistently with the, the picture of the tree, which has the, by contrast, deep roots that can dig into the soil and get the, the water that it needs to, to feed itself. There is another way that that verse can be translated, and it could be translated, he will be like one stripped bear in the wilderness. Um, the wilderness area of, of Judea and Israel is really harsh. And if you are stuck out in the wilderness area and you are stripped there, the chances of you, of you surviving for very long are slim to none. You need to have covering, you need to have shelter, you just do. And so that is another possibility of a, a way to translate that, which is, is kind of interesting. There's another interesting play on words, possibly in verse eight. We've got a Karekatib thing going on in verse eight. And it could either read, he does not fear when heat comes, or it could read, he does not see when heat comes. And uh, the textual evidence actually is pretty split, so you can kind of go either direction on it. If it's you will, he does not see when heat comes, then it's a cool reference to how the believer doesn't even really get bothered by the bad things that are going on around him or her. Yeah, he may be outwardly um, sad or may become outwardly discouraged, but deep down, um, if things are going badly, it's all right because the believer knows God is in control. The believer knows he or she is going to heaven. And so the believer doesn't even have to really see it. Or if it's the word fear, then you've got this sound-alike thing because the Hebrew word for see and the Hebrew word for fear sound the same. And so it'd be kind of a pun that he sees the good, um, when the evil comes, eh, he doesn't fear it. And it sounds the same as to see, he doesn't fear it. Because again, he knows who's in control, it's his loving God, who's all powerful, and he knows he's going to heaven. And so because of that, when, when drought comes, he doesn't even have to be uh, afraid. But I'd suggest the, the biggest textual thought that would have impact on the way one might preach this text is the fact that the word lave, which is the Hebrew word for heart, 
is a recurring theme in this segment of Jeremiah 17. It shows up back in, in verse 1, where Judah's sin is engraved on the tablets of their hearts. It shows up here in our text. Cursed is the one who trusts a man who draws strength from your flesh and whose heart turns away from the, from the Lord. The word order there would put a little bit of emphasis on the word heart, by the way. And then it shows up again in verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. It's as if God is coming back to this theme and just saying, guys, the issue is the heart. The issue is the heart. The issue is the heart. Keep preaching and teaching to the heart because that's the real issue. So those would be um, some exegetical thoughts that I think could be helpful for the, or textual thoughts and exegetical thoughts that could be helpful for the preacher. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's get into that. Help guys uh, start thinking about how they're going to write. Um, John, I'll go back to you. You have some initial thoughts about how you might like to handle this text? Yeah, I, I do. And one thing, just to tee up this sermon, um, or tee up a few sermons, I, is I think as a preacher, you have to decide how you're going to contextualize this text. You can do it with Jeremiah. Um, you can do it in the context of a, of a listener's life. And, um, and I think there's a few options under, under that category. But what I want to do is I want to contextualize this a little bit with Jeremiah. Um, cause if you go to, um, Jeremiah 17, three, uh, the prophet says, I will give away as plunder, um, together with your high places because of sin throughout your country. So he's describing, you know, the devastation that's going to come through exile and, um, the, the Babylonians coming in. And that's a really important, like Zitzenleben it's to, to, to think about like, what is it like to be a person where it looks like your God got beat? What does it look like to lose power, um, to be out of your native land? Um, what, is it, what does it look like? It looks like you're cursed when you're actually blessed, when you're a believer. Um, and that's the, that's the language here. Um, and, and so when you, when you get shoved off into Babylon and you, you, or you remember these words from the prophet, if he's preaching in a pre-exilic setting, um, you call these words to mind because you're going to be tempted to just go with Babylon. You're going to be tempted to, to cave into their gods. Now, uh, this is important for America today because um, it, we talk about like what is happening with Christianity in America today. Um, more and more and more, it, it's a post-Christian America. And um, what comes along with that? A lot of grief, um, a lot of suffering, for, um, especially for conservative Christians like us, um, perhaps ridicule. Um, but along with that comes a lot of temptations. Um, you, can, you can get tempted to um, marrying um, Christianity to um, some kind of fleshly power to gain re power back in the, um, for Christians in this country. Um, you can do a lot of stuff like that. You can start trusting man to get what you want and to have the blessed life. Um, so that, that's a, there's a whole set of maladies that, that comes with that. And I, I'll, I'll give you three. Um, and then we can talk about a different set of maladies altogether. One is when you're in exile in a post-Christian America, 
you don't feel blessed to be a Christian. What you feel is angry. What you feel is depressed and what you feel is aggrieved and you don't feel confident. Um, you, you, you feel like a suffering persecuted group. Um, secondly, what ends up happening then is like, what did I describe before? Um, and it says, the prophet says here, what happens is you turn away from the Lord. That's the temptation is you, you begin to ally yourself with the powers of this world because you're lacking confidence in your God. So you, you um, connect to a man or a movement or a certain politics to, to get what you want in the world. And so you're tempted to turn away from the Lord. Um, and then finally is you end up not believing the curse, which is also an important thing is um, as a Christian, you want to believe it's important to believe that God is just, that he's going to make his world right. Um, and so it's you don't believe that anymore and and so you take matters into your own hand you become vindictive angry etc so that's a possible thing to talk about is what a life in a post-christian america okay quick uh, let me quick get your guys views on something which i think is crucial in this text you're, you're playing there, there's obviously the dichotomy of cursed blessed and that's i mean right in the theme I think those are two words that our people don't understand. When they hear blessed, they think, well, you're the birthday boy. You're the one who gets all the stuff that God has to give. And when they think cursed, they think you're the one that God's going to punish. And yet I look at like verse five, cursed is the one who trusts in man. I don't know that that's necessarily even speaking of divine activity, that God's doing something as much as it is because this is how you function, because this is how you think, putting your confidence in man. You now have this existence that we're going to categorize as cursed. You guys have any initial thoughts just on simple definitions for what it means to be cursed versus blessed? Yeah, if, if this is Tom. If I could just bounce in real quickly on that. Um, one of the realities that I, I mentioned earlier that the way the Hebrew reads there in, uh, in verse five, um, whose heart is turned away from the Lord, um, there is no middle ground in this stuff. Either you trust in God or you don't. And if you are putting your trust in human things, then you by definition have turned away from God. And I don't know that I have a great definition for cursed, but that would certainly be part of it. That if I am disconnected from God, no matter how uh, well my life might look on the outwards, the outward signs, um, I'm cursed. You think of uh, the Psalms where he talks about, I, I saw the prosperity of the wicked and I almost slipped and fell because it looks like they're winning. And in, in reality, they're not, they're, they're cursed. With blessed, I think a cool way to think about it is that life is in the right place. And what I mean by that is no matter what comes my way, that I'm able to handle it. It doesn't necessarily mean that my life is always happy or that everything that's happening to me is always pleasant. In fact, uh, my life may be quote unquote miserable as much of Jeremiah's life was pretty miserable with the stuff that he saw. And yet, because of the, 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 because of the fact that you trust in the Lord, that faithful God who is always faithful to both his justice and his love, you can handle what comes on this side of, of eternity. And I think that's a helpful thought 
for thinking through what it means to uh, to to be blessed. I think you pl- see that play through in the the Beatitudes, um, the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Plain. I think that's a real helpful way to think about it. That the the person who has God's blessing, the person who trusts in God, is just able to be in a good place, no matter what comes along. And what a blessing for our, us humans to know that, that, that no matter what comes my way, I'm in a good place because my God is in control and he loves me dearly and he can speak to my heart to keep assuring me of that. Um, I would see that as being one of the main thoughts I'd want to bring out in, in preaching this text. Yeah, one thing I want, I, I love, I love that, Professor. One of the things that I was thinking about with those words, cursed and blessed, we have this idea in Lutheran theology called the, the performative word. And I, I connected this up, especially with the gospel lesson, but I think it's here too. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor, um, right there in that moment, because he said it, you're blessed. It's like he created the world. It's like, boom, it's done. Like, I don't have a performative word. I can tell my kids clean up the dishes and nothing happens. But if Jesus says, blessed are you right there you're blessed you know and i think you have to connect that up with the woe section too and the maledictions and and this curse too if jesus says woe to you corazon you're you're wiped off the face of the map you know i i've been to the whole there it's not there bethsaida is not there anymore it's just when jesus says it when the lord says it it's it's going to happen. And there's, there's law and gospel in, 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 in there too. I wanted to, would you guys mind if I backed into another malady here too? Something that, that I've been thinking about, and it connects up with a lot about what we've been saying here. But w- one of the things, it's really hard for us. This is something I've been thinking about. It's hard for us to discern, um, are we trusting in man or like, like Jeremiah talks about, because then you're cursed, or are we trusting the Lord? And one of the, one of the things that Jeremiah gives to us is a way to discern that. And you can ask yourself this question, when the heat comes, right? And when the drought comes, uh, are you resilient? Are you resilient? And if, if you're a total spiritual train wreck, then you weren't trusting in the right thing. You see, like you, you back, you can kind of back into the malady there. And so one of, one of the things that I thought about for my people is like, are we resilient or, or do we so easily turning into train wrecks? And is that because we're trusting in the wrong thing? I see, Professor, you want to weigh in? Yeah, if I could bounce into that, I, I like that thought a lot, Tim. I, I really do. Another way that, that I think could be helpful to talk about it is to say, when the heat comes, um, to whom do you look for help? If, if, you're, if your first turning is, is to human stuff, that's a problem. If your first turning is, is to the Lord, well, that, that's also very telling in a very positive way. And of course, I, I think this has lots of opportunity for, for some piercing law preaching because since I'm a sinful old Adam and a wonderful new man, but that sinful old Adam in me 
wants to turn to human stuff. You know, when I hear that I've got high blood pressure, I want to turn to the doctor and find out how to, how to handle this. When there's political stuff going on, I, I want to turn to the political parties, um, yada, 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 whatever it is. I want to go there because that's where my simple old Adam wants to go. And I need to be pounded with that. Just be reminded, wow, how, how often I do fail to trust in the Lord in a full, wholehearted kind of a way. And yeah, what wonderful grace. He doesn't walk away from me, but keeps inviting me back into his word so he can keep feeding me with those wonderful streams of the gospel's sweetness. Great stuff. That's great stuff. I want to talk about the gospel in here. Go ahead, John. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> well, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in here, and but I want to start in in one specific place is um man alive justification by faith alone is huge in this text i mean blessed what is it what does it say blessed is the one who trusts in the lord whose confidence is in him this is a massive justification by faith alone preaching i mean it is faith alone there's no syncretism there's no synergism there's um, a blessing that comes on you um, through faith in the Lord. It's really that simple. So this is this is just huge. And and so you um, it, we on the front end of this, we talked about some of the problems that that pop up, maladies, spiritual problems in our in our spiritual life when it comes to um, being a suffering community. However, whatever that kind of suffering community that you identify with, it's is it is it. It's, uh, you know, spiritual exile in the United States? Is it um, health problems or, or whatever? Um, but the doctrine of justification comes along and says, you are blessed because of Jesus Christ. And you know that you are blessed because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, the confidence in the Lord. And, and so your external circumstances don't get to, to render a verdict on your relationship with God or your ultimate blessedness. And that, that is just a massive, <laughs> massive truth that has got to, to come home. Yeah. Yeah, I love those thoughts, John. And um, just to, to build on it just slightly and take it back into Jeremiah himself, you get the impression that he originally penned these words prior to the Babylonian invasions. We don't know it for sure, but just because of the earlier parts of the chapter, it kind of looks that way. But can you imagine how Jeremiah felt when he saw Nebuchadnezzar and the army setting up around Jerusalem and the siege ramps going up and the walls coming down and the temple being destroyed? And for him to be able to say, um, I don't need to fear when the heat has come because my trust is in the Lord, the gracious God who loves me dearly, even though everything around me is just getting drilled. Um, yet my trust can continue to be in the Lord. You put it into... The, the life of the man who wrote this. And I just think it's, wow. Uh, it, 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 uh, yeah, for me, it passes the chill test. <laughs> so, yeah, it does. It really does. And, and I think it does for our listeners too. Like they'll, they can relate to that. And there's just, there's a lot of other stuff in here too, that, I mean, that can be done um, with the gospel and that should be done. Like the curse language, Jesus took the curse on the cross. I mean that that's a connection that that we should make. Um, 
there's a lot of stuff you can do with trees, by the way. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff you can do with trees. Come on. Like this is this is not <laughs> this is not rocket science here. There's well, the a lot life of stuff that you... gives too. The life that yeah. it gives. Look at look at yeah. what grows from trusting in God and and look at what comes out of uh, a true belief and justification by by faith alone. It, it's just this massive tree and nothing can shake it. Like drought comes, it's not going down. Um, the heat comes, it's just fine. It doesn't even notice it. It's just, there's a strength that comes from being uh, someone where faith rises up despite outward circumstances. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, the, the last two verses of the text, blesses the man who trusts the Lord, whose confidence is in him, you'll be like a tree planted by the water. It uh, certainly brings back echoes of, of Psalm 1, and it should. The, the wording is slightly different, though. And I find it interesting that in Psalm 1, it kind of bounces almost directly to the fruit, that it goes almost directly to it, yields its fruit in season. Whereas here in Jeremiah, he first goes to the, the rootedness and goes back to the source and kind of saying, um, and he gets to the fruits, but he first starts with, there's a reason this tree is all right. This tree is all right because it's being fed. It's being fed with what it needs. And so, you know, obviously the implication for us, wow, uh, God wants to just keep on feeding us with his word and he does keep on feeding us with his word. And if those roots are growing, if those roots are growing down, we will bear fruit. That's going to happen. And it's going to happen in the, the, good seasons and it's going to happen in the drought seasons and the heat seasons but it's because of the rootedness that's in the in the word yeah and if you wanted to preach a more like organic gospel like a more um paradise you know imagery type of gospel another thing you can do is um do the whole eden meta narrative do the eden to the new jerusalem meta narrative i mean we got trees we got water we got fruit come on it's right there except we're in the middle of the bible and that's perfect because you're we're, we're right here between the now and the not yet so you you get to do a little eschatology if you if you follow that through and that's a really legitimate i mean that's not just um, pulling this this is a lot of scholars are going to notice like um the edenic imagery of texts like this um so that's a legitimate a legitimate route too but I got one. I got one more, <laughs> and then and then it's this. Um, notice the location of the faith. It's in the Lord. So if you do that whole faith alone sermon, um, like man, you can just nail that. Um, it's the one who trusts in the Lord. So and and the importance of this is that so that faith isn't something that we aspire to. But it's, it's rather something, it's faith is just looking at the Lord. This is about the one who is trusted. Um, the Lord is trusted. And he is, um, he's, he's um, I got an illustration for this later. But he, we know this, he's trustworthy. He's never let us down. And you can, you can just track through narrative after narrative after narrative, culminating in the life and death of, of Jesus Christ to show the faithfulness of God. He's going to come through. We can trust him. I like those thoughts a lot, John. Uh, I've got one that that we kind of been t 
talking about, but maybe I haven't said it as transparently as we could. And that's the, the wonderful good news that the believer never needs to fear. Um, we live in a, a, a world in which fear is just all around us. And uh, we are taping these about a year in advance, just so our listeners know, but fear is just rampant in our nation. And for the believer to be able to know that he does not fear when he comes, like that tree that doesn't fear when the, the drought comes, the believer never has to fear. Why? Because we know the ultimate outcome. It doesn't mean that things on this side of eternity aren't going to be scary at times. And we may cry out in quote unquote fear to God. But when push comes to shove, we have nothing to fear. Because as you said, well, the curse has been removed by Jesus on the cross. And we're going to someday eat at that tree of life, which is going to bear its fruit year after year after year and season after season after season, fed by that wonderful water of life. So, um, yeah, and for the, for the believer to just hear again and again, you don't need to fear, not because things aren't bad, but because of who your God is. You no longer have to be afraid. I think it's a wonderful gospel um, nugget that's here in this text that could be a lot of fun to proclaim. What do you guys think about this? I, whenever I have it come across a text which stresses trusting in the Lord, um, so you have, you know, in verse five, that you're cursed if you trust in man, which we say that cursed is something less than damnation, it's, but it's going through life without the resources to cope. Um, but obviously it would imply a, a, great, a greater type of, of curse, which would be, would be damnation. I just think it's a great text to preach um, the intersection of Jesus' active and passive obedience, which is um, that he goes to the cross being the only one who really ever trusts in the Lord. Um, I think our people need the comfort of knowing that they're forgiven for not believing in God well enough. Because um, we'll, we'll say, well, this teaches justification by faith. But what about the person who says, yeah, but my faith is weak, and that's proven by the fact that I lack all these resources. I'm not like a tree planted by water. I'm like the bush in the desert on a daily basis. And just to let them realize, yeah, but there is one who trusted in the Lord perfectly. He, therefore, should have been blessed. But keeping with the theme of the day, our curse became his, and his blessing became ours because he was punished for our lack of trust. I think that's a – that's I just uh, – that's something I often missed in my preaching was forgive, letting people know they're forgiven for not believing enough. That's not the yeah, right way it, to put it. That's the greatest no, reversal I, of all. I, you know, that's the gospel reversal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that's exactly right, though, John. Like when we preach a faith alone sermon, you got to make sure that you focus on not on, not on faith, but on what faith believes, who it is that faith believes. And that's what you did. That was beautiful. Yeah, that was, that was excellent. I had a, <laughs> some may think I'm a little bit nuts, but when my kids were babies, one of the ways I tried to teach them this concept was by tossing them up in the air and catching them. Um, the question wasn't going to be, are you going to fall someday? The question is, is your God big enough to catch you? And the answer is, of course, yes. Now, for that illustration to work, you got to make sure you never drop them. <laughs> Just an important <laughs> little hit there. Um, but so it, it, I was hoping to teach them that that thought, my, my, my trust isn't that my trust isn't in me my trust is in the one who holds me and who catches me and that's the all-powerful god and it's who god is and what he is like that i get to rely on which is awesome 
So I love that intersection thought, John. That's a great thought. Yeah, I mean, the reality is, even though like in this life, I'm often living in the wasteland, I'm living in the desert because I put my trust in the law in place. It's going to be, if we're carrying out this horticulture metaphor, there's going to be a transplant into the Garden of Eden um, when he makes not, you know, my faith perfect as well um, in the life that's to come. I got some, I got some uh, potential outlines. Fantastic, Tim. Go to that part. Yep. So, so one of the things that I've been thinking about uh, here would be, you know, how do we, how do you kind of get into this text, these malleys that we've been talking about? And what I'm really drawn here, and I think the, there's a great opportunity to do, to do a compare and contrast here. You have the, that's kind of how Jeremiah sets it up between uh, the cursed and the blessed, between the bush and the tree, and to kind of start to draw out some of those maladies for people and kind of asking people a question, question along the way, you know, almost repeatedly, you know, which one are you? Which one are you? And, and ultimately what the sermon wants to do, like we just talked about, is draw people um, in, into verses seven to eight and invite people into the blessedness into the blessedness like maybe you were that bush out there you don't have to be you don't have to be um you can plant your roots right here i've got a god who has who has never failed you know and and he never will fail i, I got one another maybe an illustration a little bit like yours professor but this one i've never forgotten like some people are afraid of flying, you know, and this is a by faith alone illustration. Um, so let's say three people get on a plane. Um, one of them's terrified of flying. They're not sure they're going to make it. Um, but two of them just fall asleep on the, on the flight. Uh, they all make it fine. You know, boom, they make it. <laughs> one of them had a terrible flight. They were afraid the whole time. Um, but two of them just slept. They were at peace. And the point of it is like faith isn't isn't really the thing that saves us, is it? It's the pilot. It's the pilot. And if we have someone who can get us to the right place, and we know that we do in Jesus, um, we can we can fall asleep. You know, we can fall asleep. We can be like that tree, you know, <laughs> and and just put down our roots and we're good. Can I build off of that just a, a quick second? Um, there's an interesting little, another little interesting Hebrew thought about this is that in both five and in verse seven, uh, it, yeah, verse seven, um, the, the Hebrew word that's used for man isn't ish, which you would expect. It's the Hebrew word gever. And Oftentimes that Hebrew word gever, uh, for example, it's the word that was used for David's mighty men. They were the gevurim, the, the, the mighty ones. And so it doesn't always have that flavor. And I don't know that you have to have that flavor here. But I do think there's maybe a little nuance. You know, the, the person who isn't relying on the Lord, who is trusting in his own uh, ambition, his own power, his own wealth, his own friends, whatever, uh, oftentimes feels like a gever. He feels and thinks that he's a hero. Uh, but he's not. By contrast, the person who is trusting in the Lord uh, is a giver. <laughs> he is a he he is a hero, 
even though his life may not look that way. And again, Jeremiah is a fantastic example of this because so much of Jeremiah's life just looked terrible. Jehoiakim is burning his scroll. He gets tossed into a pit. He has to get pulled out by a servant. Uh, he has to beg the king for his life at the end of his ministry. The people don't listen to him and head off to, to, to head off to Egypt. Um, he just looks like a failure all the way through um, in so many ways. And he's not. He's a hero because the God who he trusts in is the God of grace and mercy. So it's just an interesting little nuance that's, uh, that's there in the text that could, could be fun to mess around with, too. I think I, I just have a couple of things to tack on to the end of this podcast. And, and one is I, I think the form is going to come pretty easily. You, do, you have this, this very Hebraic way of thinking. There's two ways, theology, the curse, the blessings, so prevalent in the Old and New Testament. And I think that can set a, a, a textual form for your sermon right there. Um, but here's, this is just a couple of things like that, that, that you can use. Um, for illustrations, Horton, uh, um, there's a story um, in one of Dr. Seuss's books. You can tell I have an eight-year-old, and uh, there's a there's a a story about um, Horton the elephant, and he sits on this egg, and um, one of the themes in the book is, um, and I'm just gonna read it because it's really cool. I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant is faithful 100 percent. And it, 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 um, it reminds me of the Lord. Like when you do a faith alone sermon, one of the moves you can make um, for faith is just a point to the faithfulness of God. He's given us his word. He's given us his promises. And um, there it is. Boom. Tell people that and they will have peace in their lives. Show it to them. Tell them the story of God um, and have a lot of fun doing that. One other thing you could do um, is do an imagistic sermon of, um, of an olive tree. There's a lot you can do with olive trees. Olive trees are um, beautiful fruit. They live hypothetically almost eternally. <laughs> you can do the research on that. And you can zoom in on an on a olive tree and, and do some, some preaching on that. You can zoom out and see some of the devastation away from it. Um, and you can have a lot of fun with that, too. I got one more illustration for you guys. And, and this one comes, this one's not from, from a children's book. <laughs> but, and you can see if it's appropriate for your pulpits. But there's always this question, you know, what, what makes a survivor survive? What makes a person resilient? And, and Jeremiah is really answering that question for us. Um, a man who was a Holocaust survivor, he wrote, a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And one of the things that he was really interested, he was a scientist and yet he was also a survivor of the, the, um, the prison camps. And he noticed that some people um, had more physical resources than he did. Like they were stronger, um, bigger, um, maybe they had more body fat to be able to survive the, the, the terrible circumstances but he noticed that the people who survived the prison camps, and this is in his book, 
um, had a spiritual life. They had a spiritual life. And that's, I think that's really powerful. Like, what is the difference? Because we, we all experience similar things in life. How does one person bounce back and another person not? You know, and th these are the things that, that we, Jeremiah is calling us on us to think about. And he's calling us to put our trust, even in, in difficult, droughty, if we want to say it, um, hot circumstances in, in the Lord who has never, ever failed. And he never, ever will. It's a little different than Horton the Who. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love where you guys are just going with the application. You just think of like the uh, pandemic of anxiety and depression that just curses our nation. And, and I, am, I have nothing against uh, mental health or even psychotropic medication for, for certain people, but that, that the fundamental... Uh, resource for dealing with it is just these these gospel promises of God, his promises of abiding presence, his promises of everlasting life, his promises of, of unconditional grace. That's the, that's really the, the coping mechanism. Um, and that's, you guys are just giving illustrations of different ways. Um, so looking forward to uh, hearing you guys preach on it. You guys have any final thoughts? Hearing none, once again, I thank you guys for uh, providing some insights into preaching this fantastic text. And the Lord be with you all as you start writing your sermons. <laughs>